You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. All right, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Galatians 6, verse 11. My goal is to finish before the end of the year. <laughs> Galatians 6, verse 11. While you're turning there, I want to tell you about a guy named George Mueller. Uh, he was an unbelievable man. His, his life and ministry literally spanned most of the 1800s. Born in the early 1800s, died in the late 1800s. And he was just a spirit-filled evangelist who was also the director of Ashley Down Orphanage in uh, Bristol, England. He helped found the uh, Plymouth Brethren Movement. And historians say Mueller cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He provided education to them, so much so to the point that um, he was accused of raising the poor above their natural station in British life. So he's probably doing a good thing, right? He established 117 schools, which offered Christian education to over 120,000 people, all right? But he didn't start out that way. And, and Rossville Christian thought they had some growth last year. I mean, how's 117 of those? Uh, he, he didn't start out that way. He was actually a thief. He was a liar. He was a gambler. By age 10, he was stealing money from his father, playing cards and drinking while his mother was literally uh, on her deathbed. At seminary later, he said uh, he described his status as one of wicked behavior and unrepentant spirit, despite my lifestyle, sinful lifestyle and cold heart, God had mercy on me. I was as careless as ever. I had no Bible and had not read any scripture for years. I seldom went to church and out of custom only, I took the Lord's Supper twice a year. I never heard the gospel preach, no, preached. Nobody told me that Jesus, what Jesus meant for Christians by the help of God to live according to the Holy Scriptures. I didn't know that. But then one night he went to prayer meeting in a private home in 1825 and something happened there that changed him. And Mueller said, I have no doubt that he began a, a work of grace in me even though I scarcely had any knowledge of who God truly was. That evening was the turning point in my life. And I would say that George Mueller caught up on all those things he didn't know about God because later in his narratives, he said, the word of God alone is our standard of judgment in spiritual things. That the Holy Spirit alone can teach us about our state by nature, show us the need of a savior, enable us to believe in Christ, explain to us the scriptures, help us in preaching, etc., etc. It was my beginning to understand this latter point in particular, which had a great effect on me. For the Lord enabled me to put it to the test of experience. Simply reading the word of God and studying it. The result of this was that the first evening that I shut myself into my room to give myself to prayer and meditation over the scriptures, I learned more in a few hours than I had done during a period of several months previously. But the particular difference was that I received real strength for my soul in doing so. I now began to try by the, by the test of the scriptures the things which I had learned and seen. And I'm sharing all this background of George Mueller to help us understand the magnitude of his secret. What was his secret? Well, when a man asked George Mueller the secret of his service to God, Mueller later responded, there was a day when I died 
utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, his taste, his will, died to the world, its approval, its censure, died to their approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. If the dead could talk, and they do, they'd have plenty to say and do. And that, my friend, is why we're reading Galatians 6 this morning, uh, verses 11 through 16. So why don't we stand in honor of God's word? Galatians 6, verse 11. Just stand if you're able. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I'm going to ask Jacob Ferguson. He's part of our young adults small group led by Wilson Vaughn. Why don't you come and ask God's blessing on our message today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we gather here today in your presence, we ask that you strengthen us, bring peace, to, peace and love to our hearts, and, and as we celebrate Christmas next week, that we will remember the true purpose of the holiday, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, we, uh, we saw a promise and kind of a warning too, that we reap what we sow, right? Galatians 8.22 says, while the earth remains, uh, Genesis 8.22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So harvest is a certain as the saving promise of God. It's the gold standard of all our spiritual work. And sowing and reaping isn't just a witness to the Lord's faithfulness, it's a witness to our own. And that's what we looked at last week. John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Fruit comes by what? Death. There is no fruit without death. Galatians 6.14, Paul said, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right? Paul was a dead man, but he had a lot to say and do, didn't he? But he died first. And if the dead could walk and talk, which they do, what would they, what would they say? What would they do? Well, first, they would love with all of their energy. Galatians 6.11 says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So if the dead could walk and talk, they do everything with increased effort. Now, uh, I know there's a lot of complacent Christians in the world. I can at times become one of them. And this may, you may not think this has much to do with Paul's thorn in the flesh, but I think it does. Remember, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 says, Though uh, if I should wish to boast, 
I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, which you remember Jesus appeared to him, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So what was that thorn? Some have said it's a temptation of a particular sin or a disease, a fatigue, a speech impediment. Some say it could have even been a person. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.14 says, Alexander uh, the coppersmith did me great harm, but I don't believe it was any of those. I believe it was his eyesight. And y'all remember, you know, the, the Damascus Road experience, Saul, then Paul, then Saul, Acts 9.3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Acts 22, 11, uh, he's telling his testimony again. And he says, since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me. Again, Acts 26, verse 11, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. So the glory of Jesus eclipses the, the brightness of the sun. And then in Galatians 4, verse 13, we've already read this several weeks ago. Paul says, you know, it was because of a body, bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. So I think he, he could have had something going on with his eyes. So Paul was uh, likely dictating most of the book to a scribe, right? So most of the book of Galatians was from Paul, but it's probably, you had a scribe writing it down on papyrus or whatever it was, parchments, right? Which was not uncommon in that day. Uh, for Even for those who could see to have someone write it down. But when he, when he came to the end of Galatians, I believe Paul wasn't just metaphorically maybe writing in large letters. He may have needed to write in large letters if he was writing with his own hand so that he could see his own words. You know, some of y'all can understand what I'm talking about. And so I, I know it may have been small, but here's what my point I'm making. Why not just dictate the whole letter? I mean, he could have done that, right? Just dictate to the end. It's no big deal. No one's going to know or care. I believe it was just one of a thousand little ways Paul was an example to us of giving an extra increased effort in serving God. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? There's two ways I believe that Galatians 6.11 reveals Paul's increased effort. First were his large letters. Now, whether he used the large letters for a, like heightened emphasis, uh, or to model an extra effort, you know, because he had to squint and write with poor eyesight. We don't know. What we do know is that the large letters were not normal. He did something extra, right? Whatever their use, they showed intensified effort on his part to demonstrate his love for the Galatians. This is what I would call an increased effort physically and sacrificially. What effort in your spiritual life are you giving physically and spiritually? Eh, you know, eh. I mean, we came, we're, we're here. We showed up, right? What extra effort do you have in your life? Paul demonstrated that because he was a dead man walking. 
He was alive and well. Second was his own hand. Now, some scholars suggest his hands could have actually been injured uh, from all the persecutions and beatings he had received, and so maybe he he had a hard time writing. Uh, I don't know. What we do know is that one of the reasons that he wrote with large letters was to intensify his connection and demonstrate the sincerity of his love to the Galatians. And this is what I would call increased effort spiritually and relationally. Well, you know, I'm not a people person. I don't really like people. Sorry, bud. God loves you, and you're commanded by him to love others. You don't get out of it with some personality claim. Uh, you know, I'm an introvert. Okay, so don't ever share the gospel. So don't ever approach someone to bless them because you're an introvert. You put your needs over theirs. You don't get away with it, not according to the book of Galatians, right? It's always good to get a gift that uh, we like, right? But there's always something special about you know, given, you know, oh, that was such a thoughtful gift, you know? Someone in our church always gives my wife earrings. It's just a little extra something, not because it's her birthday, not because it's Pastor Appreciation Day, you know, not because it's our anniversary or, or an event, just because they want to. And those things bless people. A thought, a sacrificial effort, an extra encouragement, a handwritten card, a phone call, an extended conversation. Straining past our personal conveniences to honor God by blessing someone else. Things we don't have to do. You didn't have to do that. Well, no, I didn't. That's why it's more fun. Amen? That's what part of the joy of Christmas is. I didn't have to do that. But I don't care if it says it's a $5 limit. Dead gum, and I'm going to tick everybody off today. I'm giving 20, right? You know? Now listen, it could, be, it could be giving something extra in a missions offering that you really don't have. It could be volunteering to serve in an area outside your comfort zone. I mean, it could even be going last at the dinner table at your Christmas party. I don't know what little things it could be, but it's extra effort. Giving up something, taking on something. I don't know what it is. I'll tell you what I do know. I know that Mary Turner spent a whole day in court with a, a woman this week out of love. I know that Rusty hauled new tables up to the church this week. I know Steve Odom uh, put those new chair racks together that make it easier to break down our tables and things in the gym. I know uh, Tommy Maynard is going to be here next Sunday before any of y'all getting the Lord's Supper ready so that you can worship through it. I know that JR installed a new hot water heater for free last week. I know that our secretary... Lynn sends out prayer requests while on her vacation days at any hours of the night. I know we had around 15 folks show up last week. You know, what better thing to do after church than go get your bellies full and then go relax and watch some football. But they didn't. They went across town to Fraser to bless Doug and his wife and that church plant there. And then they gave out the gifts that many of you took the extra effort to go buy, the angel tree gifts, and they passed those things out. And I could name them. There's a, there's a thousand others, right, uh, that little things that y'all do. You don't do them because you have to do them. You do them because you, you want to earn your way to heaven. I just, I just checking, see if y'all were listening, seeing if y'all were checked out. I was good. Y'all were like, uh-uh. We're... Y'all are on point today. That's exciting. All right. If the dead could walk, they would increase their physical and spiritual efforts in loving others. 
May God help us to have more sacrificial and, and personal relationship with others. Lean in a little, just a little bit more. Second, if the dead could walk and talk, number two, they would escape their man-made prison. Galatians 6, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ themselves, right? Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised don't themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Forcing worthless rituals, fearful of persecution and seeking to please false teachers. Sounds a lot like our society and sounds a lot like a man-made prison. Matter of fact, when I studied this, I pictured one of those old prison cells with the bars in the window and my two hands gripped to those cells staring out at the free world, right? And I think Paul labels those two prison bars this morning. The first prison bar is force. Galatians 6.12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. You mean to tell me that you worship a God who is so incredibly ineffective in spirit and power that he's unable to guide us without force? That his love's so small that he has to force us? People ask me all the time, are you Arminian or a Calvinist? And if you don't know what those two arguments are, there are uh, do, do you believe it's the free will of man, your choice to believe in God that gets you to heaven, or do you believe it's because God chose you before the foundation of the world? And I say, yes. I say, yes. All right. Last time I checked, praise be to God for the great men of faith of old, but last time I checked, neither one of them were there when Jesus died. Neither one of them were there discipling the original apostles. They weren't one of the 40 who hand wrote, uh, who wrote the words of God, who were inspired authors of scripture. The gospel, last time I checked, is the power of God into salvation, not our opinions about the gospel. And uh, I get mighty scared when I hear preachers only paint God as forcing salvation on men. You know, when, when, the, when the Calvinists want to speak hard, they leave out the free will verses for whosoever will. And when the Armenians speak hard, they leave out chosen before the foundation of the world. And none of them should be left out of the word of God. Can't we just preach the Bible when it says God chose us, we can believe that. And when it says we got to repent and believe to be born again, we can believe that too. Well, not to the Judaizers. They misrepresented Salvation. We need to be careful that we don't do that. Do you know why some lost people think of God as a bully? Not just because their dads weren't that great, but because they've had people in their lives that treat God's word like a cattle prod. If you're living in false doctrine of a works-based salvation, or if you're you know, one day sitting under a pastor who teaches false doctrine by coercion or force. And you pull out your little 007 laser cutter <laughs> and cut through those prison bars, burn through that lie. And by the way, the bar may not be forced rules. I think today the bar is more forced unrule. Like if you don't, right, if you don't believe this, then you're a wretch. It's... Don't be imprisoned by force. Lordship salvation, by the way, isn't legalistic force. 
God's allowed me, given me the heart to make him Lord of my life. But he was Lord before I ever chose it. <laughs> and he drew me before I ever chose him. Unashamed surrender. Well, the second prison bar is fear. Galatians 6.12. Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised don't even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They aren't forcing circumcision. Look at this. I never caught this before. They're not forcing circumcision because they truly believe it. They don't believe it saves. They force it because their leaders say so, and they want approval of their leaders. And they don't want persecution socially, relationally, business-wise. And so, I just want to say, if you're living for the approval of man, you're in a man-made prison. Because you'll never do it. Man's too fickle. <laughs> to please. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. Do you know that? The fear of man traps you. It traps you like, a, like you're trapping a squirrel in a backyard in a cage. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4 says, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. John 12, 43, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. A lot of people jump and ship in strong doctrines of the faith because they want to please the masses. More hits on their YouTube channel. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Isaiah 2.22, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath for what, of what account is he? Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And Paul had already mentioned this back in this letter of Galatians in chapter 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So it's servant of Christ or man pleaser. Can't be both. The Judaizers were so scared of their own Judaistic leaders persecuting them that they stayed in a religion they didn't believe. That, my friend, is prison. John 5, 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You seek glory from one another. I want to serve people well, by the way. I mean, I want to do a good job at serving people, but not to just please them, but to please God by giving my best to them. Not because they deserve it, but because God does. So many so-called believers fear that the, their good earthly life might change if they go all in on Jesus. So they'd rather kill their faith. What Romans 1 says, you know, they, they subdue the word of God. They su suppress the truth with their sin rather than change their current way of life. Uh, Alexander Sanders Jr., was a former chief judge of the South Carolina Court of Appeals. And he spoke at the graduating class of the University of South Carolina 30 years ago, 1992, probably because his daughter was graduating that year. His daughter's name was Zoe. And he got up there and he told a story of when Zoe was a little girl, she was three years old and there was a family crisis. Her pet turtle had died. So being the, you know, the fix it fast father that we all are, we want to fix it. So he said, hey, let's go buy another one. Well, that didn't fly. No, shoot, I want that one. 
come back to life. He's trying to think on his feet. He said, well, look, uh, why don't we have a funeral for your turtle? She said, Daddy, what's a funeral? Well, uh, it's kind of like a festival where we honor the turtle. Well, what's a festival? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's like a birthday party. We're going to have a birthday party. We're going to get balloons. We're going to invite all your friends over. We'll have a birthday cake. And uh, all, you know, all this because your turtle died. Well, boy, her tears dried up real fast after that. Only problem is as soon as he said that, the turtle started moving. I mean, it, it came to life and was just as live as alive as ever. And uh, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. But little Zoe, little three-year-old Zoe, knew exactly what was going on. She assessed the situation, and with all the innocence a little three-year-old girl could muster, she looked up at her daddy and she said, Daddy, let's kill it. <laughs> Can't have a turtle interfering with a birthday party, can you? <laughs> Listen, force and fear are not pets. They actually do need to be killed for the party to still happen. And I picture God throwing the chain around those two bars of fear and force and pulling them down and breaking us out of prison. You'll break out of prison if you stop trying to please man. And I'm not talking about in some don't tell me what to do kind of way. I'm talking about in a surrender kind of way. If we do that, we won't be the living dead. We'll be the dead living. Which leads to the third thing a dead man would do if he could walk or talk. They would love with all their energy. They would escape their man-made prison and they would boast only in the cross of Christ. Galatians 6 verse 14, but far be it from me, King James says, God forbid, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's the good death, right? For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what counts. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What's the answer to force, to fear, to boasting in the flesh? The answer is boasting in the cross of Christ. And why would we boast only in the cross of Christ? Paul gives two reasons here that are pretty clear. First of all, because it traded the law of works for the law of faith. One commentary explained that a common assumption of Greek philosophy and Hellenistic culture that was that Greek culture that forced their culture, they forced their, their Gentileness on the Jews, not unlike those of the modern cult of self-esteem. Boy, we have a cult of self-esteem today, don't we? You deserve it. The common assumption greatly valued all forms of human assertiveness as badges of excellence, strength, and virtue. Virtue from the Latin virtus, meaning manliness or worth. Physical prowess, military feats, oratorical abilities, intellectual acumen, political power, monetary success, social status. All these were things to be proud of and to glory in. Not much has changed, has it? Paul, however, chose something utterly despicable, contemptible, and valueless as the basis of his own boasting. The cross of Christ. And Paul could have boasted about just about anything. He could have boasted about his Jewish heritage. 
He could have boasted about his Roman citizenship. He could have boasted about his, his cultural savviness, his worldwide travel, his higher education and intellect. But he was dead to seeing man's achievements as some heavenly tax break. And he had plenty of achievements, worldly and spiritual. But the world had been crucified to Paul and Paul to the world. Can we put our names in there? Are you able to put your name into Galatians 6.14? The world has been crucified to went and went to the world. Well, that'd be a good statement to say every morning before we got out of bed. To die every morning before we get out of bed. I am dead to man's approval. Right? And I have died to went. I die to the things I want, my flesh wants, and I crave what God wants for me. And it should be easy to, to put our names in there because anyone who's called on the name of the Lord has put Christ, I hope, as their priority, right? And he's made this world a foreign place. This world is not my home. Why boast in the cross? For the unfair trade of our not-so-goodness, our wickedness, in exchange for faith in Christ. Pretty good exchange. Second, we boast in the cross of Christ because it traded chaos and judgment for peace and mercy. Galatians 6.15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon him and the Israel of God. Colossians 1.19 said it this way, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It took blood, the perfect blood of Jesus, for me to have peace with God. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, and that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. We boast in the cross because it frees us from human effort and fills us with peace and mercy. You want to be fearful of something? Be fearful of a life without the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. They're still alive, but the Bible says they're perishing. They're walking dead. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And by the way, you know that word rule, this rule, let this rule be part of you. It's the word canon, K-A-N-O-N, transliteration. It was used for a summary of all Orthodox Christian doctrine in the early church. It was called the rule or canon of truth, the rule of faith, regula fide. It, it represented the core theological convictions prevailing in the local churches in the post-apostolic era, particularly after 100 A.D. on, right? If you want rule... Let that, let orthodoxy of God's word be your rule. You want to be controlled by something, let it be the cross. Be controlled by the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us. The love, controlled by love and not law? Well, that's new. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. All have access to the throne of God. If you don't believe you, you do, just call on the name of Jesus and find out. 
Three things happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Christ was crucified, man was justified, and God was satisfied. That Latin word crux is, you know, as in crucifixion, it was so crude and harsh of an expression that there's no polite Roman on the earth that would ever speak those words in public. So they came up with another phrase to avoid the faux pas. And they said, hang him on the unlucky tree. So as one scholar said, what the world regards as too shameful to whisper in polite company and a detestable object used for the brutal execution of the dregs of society, Paul declared to be the proper basis for exaltation. In this and this alone, he would make his boast in life and death for all time and eternity. And I think uh, one old hymn sums this up. You've probably never heard this hymn. I'm just going to read you one line of it. This really sums up the book of Galatians. When false foundations all are gone, each lying refuge blown to air, the cross remains our boast alone. The righteousness of God is there. That's where it is. That's the righteousness of God. Your death produces life when you die to yourself and you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to stand. Father God, I pray that if there are people in here today that have not surrendered their lives, that you would help them understand that death brings life. Christ's death brings the availability of life for us who believe and repent of our sins and call on the name of Jesus for salvation. And every day as Christians, those that know you, that have already called on you, that have trusted in you, even for us, Lord, we must die daily to ourselves in order to fully honor you, to be fully alive in Christ. That's the, that's the way you made us to get the most out of this life, is to be dead to ourselves and alive to you. And I pray, God, you'd help us to do that today. If there's people here that want to call on the name of Christ, they can do that now. They do not have to wait. They do not have to put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Ask Him to forgive you, and He will on the authority of the Holy Word of God. And I pray right now, if there are people here that don't know you, they'd call out to you and do that. Just say, Lord, I repent of my sin. Forgive me and my wickedness. I believe only in the name of Jesus, and I die to myself now, and I surrender to the life of Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. You cry out to God with those words. If you mean them in your heart, He will hear you and save you. And I pray for anyone else here that needs, that's already a believer, just needs to confess sins to you. They've been living in wickedness. They've been uh, nursing a sinful thought. They've been bitter toward a loved one. I don't know what it is, but I pray God in the name of Jesus, you would help them to repent and move forward in Christ. Not arrogantly, but humbly. I pray if there's anybody here that wants to be part of this church, to make it their church home and serve in these walls. Lord, I know this isn't the only place we serve you, but the local church is a lighthouse of service. And I pray that if you would bring members here to serve and lead, help make decisions for our church that honor you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.piperdenbaptist.com.